We're going to pick up today with Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. Remember with me that Ezra has brought the people of Israel back to the promised land under the orders of King Cyrus, the uh, head of the Persian Empire. He has decreed that God spoke to him to rebuild the temple of God. And so he tells all the Jewish people who want to go back and help rebuild the temple of God, you may have free to go, and he tells everybody to give them gold and silver and whatever they need uh, for their journey and for the construction of God's house. Now, verse 1. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. So, all right. Before construction, families settled. So they didn't go back and just immediately start work on the temple. First, the families went back to their own towns. They found their homes. They got settled in. Then they gathered to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jehazdak, with the fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they needed to know what to do. So they needed design, and they needed instructions. So they went back to the law of Moses, because it's all laid out right there. They didn't, they didn't try to copy the design of something that they saw in Persia. They went back. This is what God said he wanted. See, folks, if you and I would just learn that God has things he wants done a certain way, and forgive me, he has the right to say, I want it done a certain way. They set the altar in its place, all right? So the altar had a place. They'd, they didn't make up a new place for it. Let's be creative here now, and let's, let's think about where it would look best. No, no, there was a place for the altar. For fear was on them because of the people of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Because of the people of the land, they were afraid. So a cause of fear, enemies. They kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and they offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offering, the offerings for at the new moon, and all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings for everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple was not yet made, laid. So, okay, we had an altar, but no temple. Remember, the temple had been completely destroyed by Babylon. They had burned it with fire. So Solomon's temple is no more. So they gave money to the masons and carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrrhenians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the grant that they had from the king of Persia. Ark, the king of Persia had said, whatever you need, this, you have the grant. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God in Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiah, and Yeshua, the son of Jazdak, made a beginning. All right, so temple construction begins. together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. The, and Yeshua, with his sons and his brothers, Kadmiel, his sons and the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen 
in the house of God, along with the sons of Hanadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. Okay, now here we have foundation laid. Now, isn't that amazing? By the time the Babylonians finished burning it, and now all these years had gone by, even the foundation stones had been taken away. Now, brothers and sisters, you just have to understand how much Satan hates the house of God. Any place that you build a house of God, that is an altar for God in this earth. That is a, a direct affront to the God of this world that is Satan. And isn't it interesting that Satan wasn't just happy with the burning down of the temple of God. Even the foundation stones were taken away. They had to start from zero. Foundations laid. The priests and their vestments came forward, the trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of the king of Israel. All right, so again, instructions from the word. They didn't know how to do any of this worship. For a generation, they'd been gone. They had no idea how to do any of this worship. So they returned to the Bible to get instructions. And they sang responsively. I like that. Praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Again, we've got things started. We can see how big it's going to be now. We can get an idea how it's going to look. The foundations are laid. And again, isn't it interesting that even the foundation stones were taken away? And when you go back and you study and you see how big those foundation stones were that Solomon used, the uh, people really had to want to destroy that place. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father, father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept in a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid though many shouted aloud for joy. Now, why did they weep? We'll see an answer later, but first we have to ask why. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a sh great shout, and that sound was heard far away. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, now these are just the two tribes, heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now notice, the enemies knew this is a temple. Now this is going to be important as we read today. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Ashahadan, king of Assyria, brought us here. Okay, now, think back and remember, they, they said, how do we worship? Remember, the king said, hey, these people are dying over there because they don't know the, the requirements of the God of this land. And so they were taught. So a lot of these people practiced some worship of God, but in kind of a bad way, but that's another study. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building the house of our God, but we alone will build 
to the Lord, the God of Israel, as the king of Cyrus, king of Persia, has commanded us. All right, so they say, we received authority from the king Cyrus, the king of Persia, okay? We were told to do this. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. <laughs> so it's amazing. First, we want to join you. And when they wouldn't let them join, now they try to discourage. This is a typical building program. There's always people that say, we want to be a part. So they say, we want to be a part. But what they, this is, this is the truth. They don't want this thing built. And they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Deiris, king of Persia. All right, so now we're going through two terms of leaders. So remember, it takes a long time in those days to do construction. So this is not easy construction. Every day of their life, people have been hired to frustrate them. Every day of their life, everything they do is challenged. So, well, how could they have done that? Well, you remember Cyrus said people were to help them and send money and they had grants and everything. Well, probably these counselors went and muddied the waters and made that more difficult to get materials and supplies. So, you know, there were people working full time. This is a full time job. This is a full time job to slow down the construction. And in the reign of Ahurus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. All right, so now we are in our third ruler of Persia. Third ruler. Now notice this is a transition. Now, when you see multiple rulers, you need to watch out for the third one. The first ruler, which is Cyrus, he knows what he said and wanted done. The run after him, Dairus, he would have heard and been in the court and understanding. By the time you get to the third leader, he doesn't know what Cyrus has said anymore. In the days of Artaxerxes, now here's a fourth leader. Here's a fourth ruler. In the days of Artaxerxes, now here's one letter of accusation. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Mithridath and Tabil and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. All right, here is the first letter of accusation. Here now is the second letter of accusation. Rehum the commander and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Rehum the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their associates, the judges, governors, officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Onapar deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and in the province, the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter they sent. Quote, 
To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you, from you to us, have gone to Jerusalem. All right, that is true. They are rebuilding the rebellious and wicked city. That is false. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. That is false. Now remember earlier, they knew they were building the temple. Now be it known to the king that if this city, we're not, they, they weren't rebuilding the city, they were rebuilding the temple. If this city is rebuilt and walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. It's all about money. Now, because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, let's call that sip, sip. Therefore, we send and inform the king in order that a search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. You will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and the provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from old. That is why the city is laid to waste. All right, so past is used. I would say past is used selectively. Now, brothers and sisters, always be careful when people practice selective truth. Everything they say is true. Sometimes I call this specific speech. Everything these people said is true. Everything they said was true, except their premise was the Jews are building the walls of the city, and the Jews were not. They were rebuilding the temple. Very, very different. So they move from a false present, false premise, and then use truth to support a false premise. So truth used to support a false premise. Now, this, this is a big deal. You see this everywhere in the world today. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. The king sent an answer to Rehom and the commander and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their associates who live in Samaria and in the rest of the province beyond the river greeting. And now the letter you sent us had been plainly read to me and I made a decree and a search has been made and it has been found that this city from of old has risen against kings and that rebellion and sedition has been made in it. Yeah, it's all true. But he's looking in wrong place because of wrong premise. I always just say kasi. Kasi, wrong premise. If they had said, let a search be made, these people are rebuilding the temple of God. They would have searched and found that Cyrus had decreed, and forgive me, once those guys made a decree, no one could overrule it. It had to be done. But they weren't looking for Cyrus's decree because the false premise supported by truth is what they were looking for. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem who ruled over the whole province beyond the river to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore make a decree that these men be made to cease and that this city be not rebuilt until the decree is made by me. All right, so the law, 
do not rebuild the walls and city. And take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Now, when the copy of Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai, and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work of the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of Dairus, the king of Persia. Now notice, false premise, on the foundation of truth equals bad equals a correct decision but the false premise is not implemented they didn't stop the rebuilding of the city because the city wasn't being rebuilt the fault the the correct decision was used as a tool to stop the temple. Th this is all a game of smoke and mirrors. A and you see this in, in, in the world today, especially in politics. A false premise is presented. Truth is used to support the false premise. And then people get the decision they want and then use it to destroy what was really being done and what should have always been done. But you see, that's what you can do when things are far away and people can't see what you're really doing. And that's exactly how the construction of the rebuilt temple of God was stopped until the second reign of Dairus, king of Persia. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Your love is like a river Rushing over me, rushing over me So strong, like a mountain Standing over me, standing over me So fear won't get the best of me I have hope eternally It's alright, it's gonna be alright Your promises are here to stay Greater things are on the way It's alright Cause I know your love is amazing Never ending, unrelenting I know your love is amazing No conditions, nothing missing I know your love is amazing Oh I 
it's true nobody loves me like you loves me like you do just you nobody loves me like you loves me like you oh it's true nobody loves me like you loves me like you do just you nobody loves me like you loves me like you do Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. We're finishing out the book of Romans today. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. All right, now the word here literally means a minister. Same Greek word that is used for ministers. Sometimes translated deacon, sometimes translated minister, depending on the context. So Phoebe is either a deaconess in the church of Sincrea or She's a minister. She's the pastor of the church in Sincrea. Now, Sincrea, remember, is like the port city suburb of the ancient city of Corinth, all right? That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, notice this is a minister probably. I mean, when you look at it in context... He's saying, he's not saying welcome her as a deaconess. He's saying welcome her in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. This is, this is probably a pastor, what we would call a pastora, okay? For she has been a patron. She's helped many. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Again, these are people that are now back in Rome. Remember Aquila and Priscilla? left Rome probably due to the Jewish persecution there. They lived in Corinth. As Paul started the church there, he worked with them doing tent making in their business. Now they've gone back to Rome. All right, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risk their necks for my life. Wow. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. So all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to Aquila and Priscilla. They knew what strong people these were. So these are a couple of business people who risk their necks for Paul's life. Wow. So the pastor is not laying down his life for the business people. The business people lay down their life for the pastor. Fascinating. Greet also the church in their house. All right. So there is, this is a, a young church that is just starting its meeting in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. Greet my beloved Apparatus, who was the first convert of Christ in Asia. He never forgot the first one. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Now notice, worked hard for you. Isn't that fascinating? He honors hard work. 
Now, Paul has a lot to say about hard work. Paul was a hard worker. Paul would not handle some of the new modern millennial style of ministers who just, they don't want to work. They want to be celebrities. She worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. Another translation says, among the apostles. Now, some translations have a hard time with this because Adronius and Junia are considered apostles, and they were in Christ before me. So these two people are, number one, relatives of Paul, saved before Paul, and they are outstanding. I like the other translations. Outstanding among the apostles. So these aren't just apostles. These are outstanding among the apostles. And one of them is a woman. One of them was a woman. A woman apostle. Hmm. Greet Amphilitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who was approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphinia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Okay, notice. Worked hard in the Lord. So again, we have two different people he honors for hard work. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Astronicus and Philigon, Hermes, Patrobas, and Hermas, and the brothers who are with him. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, who are all saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. Now, straight talk. Paul, Paul ends this letter by saying, you know, there are people that cause divisions, number one, and they create obstacles. And these are contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. He said, they're coming along with different thoughts and different ideas. And he said, that's not what I taught you. Now, now, beloved, sometimes as pastors, we have to look at you and say, you know what? There's a lot of voices out there in the world. And you know what? There are some really good pastors and there are some really good preachers out there in the world. And you should listen to them because they have good things to say from the scripture. But there's also a bunch of weird stuff out there that cause divisions and that create obstacles because it goes contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Ah, okay. So you need to say, wait a minute, are these guys trying to change my doctrine? Are they trying to change what I believe? And he said, what you, what you do with these people is avoid them. You don't get in a Twitter war with them. You don't get in a Facebook war with them. You just avoid them. Best thing to do with these people is block them. That way their stuff never comes up and makes you get irritated, never comes up and makes you have questions. You know, just, just block them. Just just. Just block them. You know, there was a, an old friend that I had known from high school who somehow got on my Facebook page. Now, don't ask me how he did this, because I didn't even remember his name. But it came up on Facebook one day, and he's beginning to present 
that, you know, Christians really are just believing in aliens and the aliens are going to return one day. And, and I just blocked him. Why? I don't want to plant that stuff in my head. I know that's the scientific explanation for a lot of the things you see in the Bible today. They're, they're claiming this was all done by aliens and aliens seeded this world and, and aliens, you know, brought all the advancement to the Mayas and to the Incas and to the Egyptians. And uh, you know what? I don't want that stuff in my insides. I just blocked them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, all right, but their own appetites. Now, you need to get a hold of that. Who do they serve? They claim Jesus, but in truth, themselves. Why are they successful? Success flows from smooth talk, Success flows from flattery. And success flows from the audience. They are only focused on naive people. Now, you know, when, when you find people going after the naive and they got their flattery and their smooth talk going, I've just learned to back away from people like this, all right? He said, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, and I want you to be innocent as to what is evil. I like that. You know, innocent, you know, there's just a lot of things you don't need to know. When it comes to sin, there are things we don't need to know about. Wise about what is good, great wisdom, but innocent of what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I like that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul said, listen, God walks in victory. He said the God of peace. He didn't say the God of war. He said the God of peace. Peace crushes hatred. Ah, you, need, you see, you, you got to get things flipped around in your brain. It's not the God of war that will crush Satan under your feet. It's the God of peace. Beloved, one day you'll have to figure out that love is stronger than hate. That peace is stronger than conflict. Well, one day you just, you've got to get a hold of these, these backward truths, okay? Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipatera, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. All right, so Tertius is like the stenographer, all right? Gaius, who is host to me, so Gaius is the one taking care of Paul, and to the whole church greets you. Aristus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret long ago. All right, so strength flows from the gospel and strength flows from preaching regarding Jesus. You know, I talked with a young man one day, and he had just started coming to our church, and he said, you know, Pastor Sumrall, when I come into COP, it's constant what you people talk about Jesus. You sing about Jesus. You preach about Jesus. It's like Jesus is everything. I said, well, he is our everything. He said, but I've been to many other churches, 
And he said, you can go week after week, and the name of Jesus is never mentioned in church. I said, I don't know about these other places. But it's strengthened according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Ah, we preach Jesus because that message strengthens us. But has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. I like that. Not the obedience of the law, but the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow. All right. Now let's get a little wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. Solomon is teaching his son about sexual immorality. And he said, son, and really chapter 6, 7, and 8 is full of this, all right? Son, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. <laughs> now, guys, you have to understand, one of the most seductive things a woman does is to bow her head a little bit and flash her eyelashes at you like this. That's far more seductive than a lot of the things that they try to act as sexy on TV today. And Solomon understands this. He said, do not let her capture you. A woman can capture a man with sexual immorality. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. Wow. The price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Wow. Having sex with a married woman is like somebody hunting down your life to destroy it. So a prostitute costs you money. Having sex with a married woman costs your life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and not be burnt or his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in, goes in has, means has sex, to his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. No one. King David is a prime illustration of this. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Guys, if you've got a Potiphar's wife offering sex to you, some old cougar, and you're a young man who's working in the house or doing something for your boss, you know what? No one who touches that woman will go unpunished. You have to learn the Joseph principle. Run. <laughs> okay. Run. So... Solomon looks at his son and says, now, son, come on, come on, stay away from this. You, you can't expect, just like a man can't take fire to his chest and not be burned, his clothes are going to be burned, he walks on hot coals, his feet are going to get burned. You touch a prostitute, you touch another man's wife, you're going to get hurt. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.